At home, I have some cows, and I have a cow trailer, and a Christian group that was starting a crisis pregnancy center near where I live asked me if I would take my cow trailer to Nashville. And a company there was giving them some furniture. And so I met them in Nashville, and it was in a high-rise building, and the furniture was nice, but some of it we had to take apart, bookcases and so forth. So we spent three or four hours there going up and down the elevator, packing things in this cow trailer. Well, on my last trip down, I knew I wasn't to go back up, and there was a lady there who had been with us, and she looked to me like she was in her mid-50s. And so we were waiting for the others to come down, and I asked her just to make conversation how many children she had. And she said four. And uh, I said, well, how old are they? 29, 27, and then she said 17 and 15 eternally. And so I said, well, what do you mean eternally? She said they were both killed in an automobile accident. Can you imagine receiving a telephone call one morning after your children have gone to school? And you'll never speak to those two again. I later found out that her husband was having some severe health issues. And he couldn't work. I later found out that they had moved from Mississippi to Tennessee. Their house had been on the market a year there. And they couldn't sell it. So I realized, and when I was preparing to come here, that I believe the Lord wants me to encourage you. Because I realize there are people going through hard times and hard situations. We all live in a fallen world. And life can be difficult and life can be hard. We need to be rebuked and we need to be exhorted. That's my tendency is to rebuke and to exhort. But as I get older, I see that we also need encouragement. And so... Tonight, I hope that what I have to share will be encouraging to you. In John 15, Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it. He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I went to Spain in September of 1978, and the fall passed, and all over the country there are vines. I'm not very familiar with vines. I didn't grow up where there were many vines. And so in December, they began to prune the vine. And so some of these vines that may have had runners that were five or six feet, they would prune them back to about like this. And I said to myself, these people are destroying these vines. They're going to kill them. And I sincerely believe that. And I would go out of Madrid a few times and see them pruning and continually think that. And so the spring comes around. And I see that they begin to send out runners. They begin to bloom. 
And in the month of August, I could see them loaded with grapes. Loaded, loaded with grapes. And I said to myself, they knew what they were doing. I didn't know what I was seeing. And so, for a vine to bear fruit, it must be pruned. And pruning is not fun, but it produces much fruit. And so tonight, as we think about pruning, I'd like for us to turn over also in Romans chapter 8. And read several verses, starting with verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are calling according to His purpose. Now, this verse isn't for everybody. It's for only Christians, those who are born again and truly know the Lord. Then in verse 29, he says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, what greater fruit can you have than to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? But for there to be fruit, there has to be pruning. Because if you don't prune the vine, it's going to produce runners and not much fruit. So it's very curious to me in verse 29, he talks about his purpose to conform us to the image of his son. But before that, he gives us verse 28. Now, I've been here hundreds of times in my life in verse 28. What a wonderful promise he gives us before he comes into verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. These whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. There was an evangelist in Chattanooga, who was a younger fellow. And he was preaching a series of meetings there, and his wife gave birth. He was there in the afternoon when she gave birth, and she gave birth to a mongoloid child with Down syndrome. Well, that was in the day when the cell phones went around, and there was a pay phone in the hall near the room where his wife had given birth. There were nurses around who had attended the birth, who had been in and helping, and the word spread around that this lady had given birth to a Down syndrome child. So the preacher, the evangelist, picked up the phone, he put his coins in, and he called his mother. And he said, Mama, the Lord has given us a great blessing. And he went on to tell of how the Lord had had blessed them with the birth of this child. A nurse was walking down the hall, and she heard when he said that. And so 
there was no complaining or grumbling or anything in his voice. But thankfulness. So as he was preaching in Chattanooga, he went that night and preached. The next night, about 50 nurses filed in in white dresses because the word had gotten around about how this man had responded to adversity and what many people would consider something very tragic. So he knew how to respond biblically to adversity and trial and trouble. And it made a tremendous impact and many of those nurses responded to the invitation when he preached that night. They knew he was real. They knew he was the real deal. Because they had seen his response in suffering. And as we come here in Romans 8.28, and thinking about being conformed to the image of his Son in verse 29, which is not always easy. We have this wonderful promise. Many of you probably know who Ravi Zacharias is. He, during the Vietnam War, was there for a summer preaching and traveling with a Vietnamese brother that was translating for him. And so they became real close and traveling and living together and preaching and translating. Well, <clears throat> Ravi had to come home, and then we know what happened. Vietnam fell, and the communists took over. This fellow was put in a concentration camp, and the conditions there were horrible. He had to go to class every day about atheism and how good communism is. So day after day listening to that, day after day living in very difficult circumstances. And this goes on for months. And one night the translator said, Lord, I'm not speaking to you anymore. I don't believe that I deserve to be here. And you could get me out of here. And I'm sure the devil was playing on his mind and he said, Lord, this is the last time I'm speaking to you. So the next morning he gets up and he doesn't speak to the Lord. Later on, one of the officials comes around and he says, we need a volunteer today for someone to go and empty the buckets of the bathroom. They didn't have toilets, they had buckets, and we need someone to go and empty them. And he thought, well, it's a pretty nasty job, but I'd be able to be out in the sun, see something different, and maybe be distracted a little bit. So he goes around and he's emptying the buckets. And he comes to one, quote, bathroom and he sees some paper on the floor with writing on it. He reaches down and he picks up a piece of paper and he reads it, and it's Romans 8.28. And he read, We know that God causes all things 
to work together for good to those who love God. And tears begin to roll down his cheeks. And he says, forgive me, Lord. His whole perspective was changed. His attitude changed. Totally. He was set free in one sense. So, we need to learn biblically how to respond to adversity because adversity is going to come your way sooner or later because if you are His, God is going to prune. And there's a lot in our lives that needs pruning. And pruning is not easy. Mark Lloyd-Jones says, it's not so much what happens to us in life, but our attitude toward that which is happening is the important thing. Our attitude to it. His attitude totally changed. In India, they weave blankets and they have a cable and the blankets up front. They have three men behind who are weaving, following the instructions of the man who's out front. And they were weaving a blanket with a pattern to it. And a foreigner comes by and the foreigner says, Look, this man over here is making a mistake. And the man who was directing the three said, I know he's made a mistake. But when I get through with the overall pattern of this blanket, I'm going to make it contribute to the pattern I'm working in it. And he says, I see the mistake. But when you see this blanket finished, you won't see his mistake. I will make it contribute to the full pattern that I have designed for this blanket. And so, God is at work, and at times we don't understand why or what's happening. And at times the devil may attack us along these lines when we're suffering or going through hard times. And what a wonderful promise to come to. It's all-inclusive. All things, that includes everything that you may be facing, All of it. He is able to make it, in Spanish he says, contribute to good. Work for good in your life. And then in verse 29 he says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. God's after Christ-likeness. What better fruit can you have than a Christ-like person? And God is after making us useful. One time in Spain, we were traveling and we came to this town that had a sign out of monastery that was over a thousand years old. And I like old things. So we were with some other missionaries, Robin and Randall Morton, and we decided to go there and to 
look at this old monastery. And so as we parked, there was a long walkway down to the monastery. But there were four or five steps before you got to the gravel path that took you down to the monastery. And so when I came to the step, I looked down and I saw a leaf going across the step. It was a fairly good-sized leaf that was traveling across the step. Well, I stopped and looked, and it was an ant that was carrying a leaf across the step. And the step had a broken place in it, and when the ant got to the broken place, the ant went up here and tried to cross. It was broken there. He came here and tried, and he came here and tried, and tried in several different places. So then the ant did a marvelous thing. He took the leaf and set it on top of the crack. He walked across the crack. He turned around and picked the leaf up and continued his journey. So it made me think. If he hadn't had the burden, he wouldn't have been able to cross. And there are going to come cracks in your life along the way that you're going to have to cross. And sometimes God permits things to happen now that when we get to that crack, we'll be able to cross. Making us more useful. Now I'm sure that crack was a, or the leaf was a burden for the ant. But I'm sure when he got over on the other side, he was thankful. And when we get over on the other side, we're going to be thankful. We're going to see from a different perspective. What God was up to and what He was doing. Conforming us into the image of His Son. Christ being formed in us. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, there's a beautiful verse here. But we all with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Are being transformed. David Hill was a missionary, I think, in the 19th century in China. And there was an opium addict there, a Pastor Xi. He had become addicted, and basically at this stage in his life, all he did was lay on the couch and smoke opium. He had gotten to the place where he really couldn't do anything. He needed some money. And the missionary David Hill put an ad in a paper saying they would be a sum of money given to the winner of a person who could write an essay on something to do with Chinese culture. And that person would have to come and receive the money in person. Well, that was a time in China when foreigners were devils. 
And so Pastor She thought, well, it might not be too hard to make some money writing this essay on our culture, and I believe I can do that. So Pastor She wrote it, he sent it in, and he won. But there was a catch. He had to go to David Hill to get the money. And he thought, well, I can go, but I won't have to look at this foreign devil. I'll just keep my head down and receive my money and go my way. So when he got there, he he bowed. But then he had decided just to take a little peek at the foreign devil. Just to see his face. What a foreign devil face might look like. So when he looked up, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole attitude was changed and transformed. His prejudices prejudices were broken down, and he beheld the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was later converted. But that was the first impact upon his life. A man who was Christ-like. And his Christ-likeness made a big impact impact on this man. So God is after Christ-likeness. And one day He will present us in His presence, fully glorified like unto His Son. I've probably got too many examples here tonight, but that's the only way I know how to preach. We were in Spain, and it was in 1981... And it was a hot summer that summer. We lived in an apartment complex that had no air conditioning, no insulation. And it was out of brick. Well, usually in Madrid at that time of the year, it doesn't rain any for two or three months. And it was exceptionally hot that summer. And the bricks during the day would absorb the heat. And at night, they were like a heater radiating the heat. And Susan would get up in the middle of the night and take a cold shower and bring a wet towel back to bed to try to deal with the situation. I was working by myself, and one day we were walking down the street, and there was a man at a bus stop there. He must have been 18 or 20 years old. And so I stopped to witness to him. When I began to witness to him, he told me, he said, where is Jesus? Where does he live? What street does he live on? Give me his address. I haven't seen him around. This is literally what he told me. And some more similar stuff. And so I said something back, and he came out with some more of this stuff. This goes on a little while, and I ball up my fist. And I begin to tremble. And I'm fixing to make him understand one way or the other. (laughs) And Susan saw the situation. And Susan grabbed me and drug me off. Well, it's a tough place to work. 
A friend of mine told me of a Mexican pastor who went to Spain as a missionary. He had a church of 2,000 people in Mexico City. He went to the town my friend was in of a half a million people, and he told my friend, all the missionaries in Spain are in unbelief. I've come here to trust the Lord for a 2,000-member church. He had money from a big church in Mexico. He rented a good building in the best part of town. Three years later, he had one convert. And he went back to Mexico, and my friend said, who was in unbelief? So it's a tough place to work. And I had been dealing with this type of situation and being rejected a lot. Another day that week, I was in a park witnessing, and it was a hill there, and the man was laying on the hill. I began to witness to him, and he gave me some garbage like the first man, and I was fixing to deck him also. <laughs> so I caught myself, and I realized it. And I realized, whoa, there's something wrong here. What would it be in the newspaper? American Catholic missionary, American Protestant missionary, decks Catholic Spaniard. <laughs> What would it have been in the uh, police station? So I realized that I was emotionally shot and I was emotionally gone. I understood that then. Well, one day the Lord is going to present me in His presence fully conformed to the image of His Son. And let's suppose the angel or angels who have been with me are there when the Lord calls me home. And let's suppose there's some other angels there who have not been with me. And they begin to talk. And one angel says, I've been with this guy down here in Spain for 22 years. And you talk about something full of need. You talk about something that's a rock that's totally deformed. Let me tell you what happened one day down in Madrid. He tells a story where I was going to deck the man. He tells the other angel. But then he says, but look what the Lord has done. Look now what He has done. Totally, fully, completely transformed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down through the centuries, the angels would say, I've been with a lot of them down through the centuries, but this one takes the kick. <laughs> but look what the Lord has done. Look at Him now. And He says here in verse 30, Whom He predestined, He called. Those who He called, He justified. These who He justified, He glorified. Now, it's in the past tense. I'm not glorified. Just ask my wife. But in God's eyes, it's as good as done. In His eyes, it is as good as done, and it will be done. He also glorified. Now, what does it say here in verse 31? Who then, what then shall we say to these things? 
if God is for us, if God is for us, who is against us? Now, to me, it's interesting that this verse is in this place. What would the devil say? God's against you. He would try to play with our mind. But here, in this context, he brings the verse in. God is for you. If God is for you, if God is for you, and then in verse 32, he says, tells us how much God is for us and to what extent he loves us. In verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? So the devil would play with our minds when we're going through trouble and trials and difficulties. And sometimes people go through, through some that are very hard. So what should we say if he is for me in the middle of this situation, in the middle of this circumstance? He is for me. And he loved me to the point that he would give his son to die for me on a cross. And as I finish tonight, I would like to tell a story of a friend of mine in Spain who's a pastor who had a mongoloid son. He lives in a small town not too far from where we lived. But he lives in a house kind of out from town. One day he took his mongoloid son to visit a friend in Vigo where it's mostly high-rise apartment buildings. And the boy had a, was about 18 years old. And so in the man's house, the 18-year-old boy messed up in his pants pretty bad. He had not brought a change of clothes or anything. And so the man who he was visiting said down below in the garage, there's a garden hose. You can take him down there and clean him up. And we'll try to find something here that he can put on. So my friend was grumbling and complaining and telling his son, why in the world? Did you do this? Look at the mess you've made. So as he's down there with the water hose on his son, saying these things to his son, the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said, what about you? And the mess I found in you and what I've had to deal with in you. So his whole attitude changed. And he said, thank you, Lord. And he realized that he was a million times worse than the physical need of his son at that moment. Why would he want to have anything to do with someone like me or someone like the man in Spain? To give his son for us, to forgive us, to work through us in sanctification, and one day present us in His presence without spot or wrinkle, with great joy.
Sometimes I think I'd like to crawl in the back door of heaven unnoticed. Just get in the corner back there somewhere and be thankful at least I'm here. (laughs) But it won't be that way. We'll be presented in His presence with exceeding joy. And in Jude, I think it's verse 24 as we finish tonight. The Lord says... Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory. We're not cowed down there, standing in the presence of his burning glory. Blameless, with great joy. In verse 25, he says, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And what would the angel say when I get there? And he tells the other one about my great need. And he tells a story of owning a slug the Spaniard. What a wonderful God he is. What a wonderful work He has done with this thing that's worthless. What glory and honor and praise belong unto Him. And my friend, what a wonderful thing it is to have your life in His hands and to have His purpose being fulfilled in your life, being conformed into the image of His Son. Yes, the process is hard at times. But he has a glorious and a wonderful purpose. To stand in his presence with exceeding joy. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my glorious dress, my beauty are. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy, I lift up my head. I want that sung at my funeral. With joy shall I lift up my head, fully conformed into the image of His Son. I don't know what you may be going through, but He's given you a promise to cause every single thing in your life, if you are His, to work for good. He's given you His purpose. I am conforming you to the image of my Son. Well, you may say, buddy, there's a lot to be done in your life. That's true. But he will finish the job. And then to rest upon the fact that if he is for me, who could be against me, no matter what the devil may do? And then to realize he loved me in such a way that He did not withhold His Son, but He gave Him up on a tree for me. Father, we thank You for the wonderfulness of Your love to pick us from the ash heap, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to begin a wonderful process 
of conforming us into the image of your Son. Lord, what a wonderful privilege to be thine. Forgive us for times when we have complained and questioned. Cause your word to take root in our heart that we might see from your perspective. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.